Well, good morning, church. Love to see all these children, even on a rainy day. Oh, praise God. Um, today's scripture reading is going to be out of uh, the book of Acts, uh, chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. Acts 17, verses 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This is the word of God. I look out today and I see people missing. We've had a ton of sickness. I don't know about your family, but there's 25 of us that live in the community or uh, near the community, and uh, uh, everybody except four, 21 of the 25 have had sickness in the last three weeks or so. So sickness is uh, really moving around, and many families, many of our members have been down. Uh, make sure you wash your hands uh, after you've shaken hands today, you know. I, I like to say when I go to a restaurant afterwards, uh, I'm going to go wash the congregation off my hands. Um, and I, <laughs> because you have to be that careful, right? But I also never let that affect me. I mean, I want to love people. And uh, now if I'm sick, I'm not going to come up and hug on you or shake your hand. I want to be cautious and careful. But uh, I, I'm one of the four that has not yet uh, gotten sick. And that's like saying in the ninth inning that you've got a no-hitter going. Um, not wise. But I'm not superstitious, so no big deal. Okay. Uh, take your Bibles out, if you will. And we're going to be moving through some Scripture. I would really suggest that you have a pen and a piece of paper to write down these passages because we'll move too quick for you to turn to all of them. We will focus in on certain passages, and so let's get started if we can. I want to begin with prayer. Father, we just ask now that the Word of God would become life to us. It would not just be a book that we read like we read other books. This is the Word of life. And Jesus, you said, I want you to eat of me, the bread of life. And so today, Lord, we just come with, uh, with hungry hearts to receive spiritual food. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. There appears to be a contradiction in the Bible regarding serving the Lord. In Psalm 100, in verse 1, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. But if you turn over to Mark chapter 10, verse 45, our Lord Jesus Christ says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So which is it? Are we to serve the Lord or are we not to serve the Lord? I think we all know the answer. Jesus was only referring to his purpose for coming to seek and save lost people. By the way, everyone serves something. Everyone serves someone. Everyone. Paul reminds the Thessalonians that God called them away from serving idols to serve the one true and living God. Today we're going to look at the root system of serving the Lord. What is at the base 
of our service to God. And this message is for every believer in this room. If you're not a believer, this message is not for you. For you, you want to build the root system that enables you to serve the Lord. And that root system is not anything you can do. It's, it's what God does for you in salvation. So if you're not saved, the answer is become a believer. Believe in Jesus as your Savior. Believe in the work that he did on the cross to forgive you of your sins. Repent of your sin. Follow him. But those of us who know the Lord, this message is for us, every one of us. There's not a single Christian on the earth that should not be serving the Lord. Let me say that again because I think that deserved a response. There's not a Christian on the face of the earth that is not called to serve the Lord. But before we go there, let's quickly review where we've been in this series. This series uh, is titled The Church in All Her Beauty, the first week we actually focused on God's view of the church, why he created the church, what the church is made up of, and what God has done on this earth through his church. And then we went into a five-part series on the church and all her beauty, how we fit into the beauty of God's church, our place through the characteristics of Christian living. And so we started the series by looking up at our relationship with God. Healthy Christians are committed to grow spiritually. And then next we focused on looking out. Look out at our relationships with other believers. How we are to love forgivingly. And then we looked in at the heart attitude towards God and his church. A, a, a committed Christian will give faithfully to the work of the Lord and and then today we're going to look around to the work that God has called us to because he's called us to serve him humbly, to serve others, to serve the Lord, to serve in his church. Next week we'll finish our series by looking beyond. Scripture calls us to share the gospel, every one of us, passionately in this world. So let's summarize. We've got a slide Oh, they already put it up. Good. Uh, just again, you can write this down, but look up, grow spiritually, look out, love others forgivingly, look in, give faithfully to God's work, look around, serve humbly, and then look beyond, share the gospel passionately. So let's get back to this calling of God that every believer should serve him. But how we serve him matters. Did you know it's possible to serve the Lord in the wrong way? It's hard to believe that here you are doing something for the Lord, and it's actually wrong. There is a way to serve God that belittles him, that dishonors his name. It's important to remember that in serving the Lord, we never want to diminish the glory of God. You never want to touch the glory of God while you serve. If by serving God we mean that we're doing him a favor... If by serving God we mean that we're being a blessing to the church with our participation, then friend, I would say to you humbly, you're better off not serving. You're better off not serving. It's easy to get out of whack on serving the Lord. So here is a foundational message. 
covering the principles of Scripture that teach regarding our service to the Lord. This is a very practical sermon. Understand the Lord doesn't have, this is the, this is the presupposition, if you will. This is where it all begins, okay? If, if you don't get this, then your service is probably out of, out of sorts. It, it's not in alignment. So please get this. Write this down if you would. This is so important. We need to understand that the Lord doesn't have an internal need for our service. The Lord does not have an internal need for our service. That's what Scott, one of our elders, just read. Acts 17, 24, 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. You're not doing the Lord a favor by building a temple. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He doesn't need your service because he gave you life and breath and everything. Here Paul warns against any view of God that makes him the recipient of our benevolence. God is not the recipient of your benevolence. If that's your attitude, if that's your concept of serving, you're serving the wrong way. You're better off not to serve. If you think what I've got to offer, God really needs. And I'm so gifted for getting who gave you the gifting. So he alone gives life and breath and everything. He cannot be served in any way that implies that we are meeting his needs. Listen, that's the opposite of the truth. If you look just down at Acts 17, verse 28, a few verses down, for in him we live and move and have our being. You don't live and move and have your being in yourself. If that's who you are, where you're living and moving and having being in yourself, you will find out in the end that all that stands for you is a life in eternal damnation, a life separated from God. A life separated from true righteousness, which does not come from man, but comes from only the Lord himself. The spring, listen, the spring always feeds the lake. Have you ever swam in a spring-fed lake? Usually the water is very cold, and secondly, it's very clear. The reason the lake water is clear is because the water doesn't lie stagnant. There's a spring beneath that lake that's bringing forth water constantly. Never is there a case where the lake feeds the spring. And what did God say of his people in the sin of Israel? For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the spring of living water and have hewn for themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, could you imagine if you had a choice between a fresh, living spring to drink from or to drink from a cistern that only holds water, would that be a tough choice for you? 
I can tell you when I was in Grand Cayman back in college, I went to school in Indiana, I was there in the summer or the winter of 77. Uh, you say, well, what, what's that? One of the worst winters they've had ever on record. I mean, I remember trying to get home for Christmas and literally going down I-69, one lane on an interstate, and on both sides of the lane was snow seven feet high. On the campus, you had a one lane going down the main thoroughfare of the college campus, and on both sides, snow seven feet high. And what you didn't know was that under that snow lining both sides of the road were parallel parking spaces filled with cars. If you left your car there, you ain't getting to that car until spring. That's how bad it was. And, and so in the midst of that, I was getting a business degree, and the economics department had put out a thing where you could apply to go down to Grand Cayman in January and be part of an econo building an economic brochure for the Caymans. So uh, I applied. By the grace of God only, I was accepted into that program, and we took off. And when we got there, they put us in like a bungalow on the beach, seven miles, 21 miles, and we're on a bungalow uh, on the east end of the island. And every day we'd come back from the city, uh, from that little Georgetown, and we'd come back to our little hut on the beach and go snorkeling and all that. And then you'd go in to take a shower, and the water's ice cold. And I'm thinking, man, they got a spring. And then one day, while we were there for that month, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you better believe my friends knew about it when I got home. I came back to Indiana with a full tan, baby. One day, the maintenance guy came by the hut because he needed to check the water level. And I'm thinking, water level? I thought it was a spring. He took me out with him. I wanted to see it. He pulled back where the shower is. He pulled up this board, and under it was a well. It was a cistern that held the water source. And the well was filled with, I mean, the sides of that thing was algae, bugs. I mean, it was just gross. And here we are washing ourselves in it, man. <laughs> Taking in some water in your mouth, you know, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> Nobody would choose that if they had a choice. You'd want the spring of living water, but God said, no, you've rejected the spring of water and you've built for yourself cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. If you're going to serve me, you can't serve out of an old broken cistern. You've got to serve me out of the well that I provide for you to find life. Isn't it interesting that all the other gods of the religions of the world require that people work for them. God says, you can't work for me. You're not good enough to work for me. You never have been, you never will be. Except for the work of Christ on the cross covering your sins, you would not be clothed in righteousness. But you are because of Christ and having faith in him. But in yourself, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You have to travel to Mecca in one religion. You have to make animal sacrifices in another in another, you got to pray the rosary. In another, you got to knock on doors. In another, you got to wear really weird undergarments. In another, you have little image idols in your place of business. All of these false gods require you to do something. 
for them, not Christianity. The one true and living God says, you can't do anything for me. First of all, I don't need you to exist. I am self-existent. Which begs the question, then why did he create us? Well, I tell you this, it wasn't because he needed us to fill a void in his life. There was no void. He created us for his own pleasure. Out of love, he made us after his own image. But he didn't put us on this earth so that we would somehow earn his love or that somehow we might give him a blessing by serving him with our gifts. He made us after himself for one purpose, to bring glory to him and him alone. So, very important that we understand that. That's the presupposition. That's the foundation for serving the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those who, whose heart is blameless toward him. The only thing we bring is an empty heart that is bent towards God, and God's seeking the earth for people who have that kind of a heart to love him, to serve him from their brokenness, from their emptiness. And God says, if you do that, yeah, I can use you. I'll employ you. And I love what John Piper said. The gospel is not a help-wanted ad. It is a help-available ad. All that is required of us is to trust that, that, that God has a plan, that God knows how to fulfill his plan, and that he has graciously invited me or you into or onto the playing field to join him in his victory. None of that was because of me. You do know that the victory has already been won against Satan. It was won when Christ went to the cross and suffered and died for us. And then God raised him three days later from the dead. You contributed nothing to the victory over Satan. You just simply get, as a Christian, to inherit the joy of the victory. My service for God is not for any other reason than that I am in love with him and my affection is for him and him alone and I just want to allow my life to be his life and let him use me. That's a right attitude for serving the Lord. He doesn't call those who think that they need him or that, that he needs them, that he's somehow going to secure the victory because they're on the team. This is kind of cool. How many of you growing up were not real athletic? And so, you know, you all, they pick teams, and you have a captain, and he picks first, and then somebody, and they're always picking the best players first. And then finally, they get down to the end, and there's just a couple of you left. Maybe you're one of them. And they're like, okay, I got to pick one of them. Eeny, meeny, my, okay, you, you come on. In God's economy, God starts with you. The person who knows, I can't help this team. I, I have nothing in myself to offer except that my God loved me and saved me and he gave me his righteousness and he put spiritual gifts in me 
And by faith, I can serve him on the field somehow. But it's all him. And God's like, yep, you're the one. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Turn, if you will. A couple places I want you to turn this morning. Mark 2, 17. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick... Now, he wasn't saying that there are people on the earth that are well and they don't need a physician. He's saying there are people on the earth who think they're well and think they don't need a physician. Then there's other people on the earth who are sick and they know it. And they know that apart from him, they can do nothing. And so they are more than happy for a physician to come upon them and help them and teach them and grow them. They're more than happy to let a physician save them from their destiny of sin and death. When was the last time you saw a skilled physician asking the patient what procedure should come next? When was the last time you had a doctor who you're getting ready to go in for uh, uh, open heart surgery? And uh, the doctor uh, looks at you and says, now listen, I'm not going to knock you out. I want to give you a local. You won't feel what's going on, but I need you awake because when I get in there, I might need your assistance. You might need to tell me what to do. That's the folly of someone who thinks they have something to offer. You might have slept in a Holiday Inn last night, but that doesn't make you a cardiologist any more than sitting in an oven will make you a biscuit. <laughs> you have to be empty. No more of you. All of God. Those are the only ones that serve the Lord in a right way. I mean, go back to your salvation. Even salvation is this way. Romans 4, verse 4. Now to those, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So if you are putting all your stock in what you've done for God, then guess what? What you've done for God is your reward. You say, well, okay, I'll take that. That's good, because I'm a good person. Uh, when you stand before God, he's going to say, um, all of your good works did not save you. Only I can save you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Verse 5, Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, that man's faith is counted as righteousness. You just got to admit, it's not me. I'm not the answer for the church. I'm not the answer for God. I'm not the answer for people. God is. I mean, it all goes down. Even in Corinthians, Paul said, uh, we don't comfort others with our comfort. He said, in the church, we comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves received from God. Not even in helping people are we to do it out of our own strength. Everything we have to offer comes from God for others. Amen? 
So our very eternal destiny hangs on God's work for us, not on our work for him. The only way to be justified before God is by faith, not works. And the proof that you have been justified by faith is that you recognize that God is calling you a helpless sinner that has been saved by him to join him in his wonderful work. Don't try and work your way into pleasing God because the only way you can please him is by faith. Amen. Galatians chapter, write this down, Galatians 3, verse 2 and 3. Galatians 3, 2 and 3. Let me ask you only this. Did you, he's speaking to the Christians in Galatia. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? By your service? You're only perfected by faith in Christ. Without faith, you cannot please the Lord. Works do not please the Lord for salvation. Only faith does, and Jesus does. So how does one serve the Lord in a way that honors him alone? Romans chapter 12. This is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. Romans chapter 12. Go ahead. I'll give you time to get there. Romans 12. We'll begin with verse 1. We'll break it down. We're going to walk down through Romans and unpack this. I'm not going to cover all verses the same because we're taking the verses that specifically fit what we're, the presupposition tells us, that it all begins with God, it all is because of God, and there's nothing that you do to, 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 to help him. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's the, that's the foundation. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's back up. I appeal to you, therefore, means I appeal to you based upon everything I just taught you the last 11 chapters of this letter. Interesting. It's a turning point in the book when you come to chapter 12. Okay? Paul will now call us in chapter 12 through, verse, through chapter 16 to live a life of divine substance. You're no longer lost. You're no longer of this world. You're no longer base in your thinking. God has saved you. You now bear the spirit of God in you to teach you all things, grow you in God, and conform you to the image of Jesus. Paul will now call us in chapter 12 to do just that. Okay? He's about to say something that has great substance based upon the doctrines that he has taught for the last 11 chapters, okay? So he gave these wonderful doctrinal teachings, and now he says it's time to not just know, but to flesh out what we know. I've taught you, so now you have doctrinal knowledge for 11 chapters. I've given you doctrinal knowledge. At some point, you've got to live it. You've got to practice what you know. So he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. 
You know what the first 11 chapters was about? The mercy and the grace of God for you. So I'm going to appeal to you by the doctrines that I've taught you about just how benevolent God was toward you. Not that you're benevolent towards God. Okay? So the summation of the first 11 chapters is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Write it down. 834 summarizes the first 11 chapters. And here's what it says. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he's the one who was raised. He is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. Because of Christ, those who believe in him are justified by faith, reconciled to God, and have hope of everlasting life in him. Those who are the most joyful people on the earth should be believers because they understand what chapter 1 through 11 of Romans is talking about. They understand the doctrines regarding salvation, sanctification, mercy, and grace. So the key to serving the Lord is living your life in full view of the mercy of God. Let me say that again. This is the key. If you want to flesh out, live out a life that is pleasing to God, then you're going to live your life with a full view that God has shown you mercy. And so now that is the well of my life. That's the depths of God, the mercy, the riches, the love of God. Nobody can possibly contain all that or know all that. But it just keeps welling up inside of me, this mercy of God, this grace of God, to the point where it overflows and it literally fills the lake to the banks. That's your life. Your life should be a lake filled to the banks with the mercy of God, the grace of God. If you want to know what the foundation of serving the Lord is, I just gave it to you. No other reason should we be serving the Lord than that I am overwhelmed by the mercy and grace of God and it just fills me to the point that it overflows me. Let mercy be the root system. Whatever's in the root will come out in the fruit. What's in the root of your life? If you're filled with anything other than the mercy and the grace of God, then I can promise you your fruit has gotten some stinky to it because it's filled with you. You want to make sure that this is an organic approach and that you get it and that you are practicing it. Living for the Lord from root to fruit, let your new life in Christ flow out of mercy. The greatest quality of a Christian serving the Lord is to walk in humility. To let mercy flow. It's the greatest attribute. That doesn't mean, that doesn't hinder or block God wanting you to be discerning and make wise choices and apply truth to worldly belief systems so that you can recognize the lie and apply the truth. It just means that the foundation of your life isn't you trying to always critique everything. The foundation of my life is remembering the mercy that God showed me. 
and that he freed me from all my mess. And he's not holding my mess over me any longer. Why am I always trying to identify the mess in others as I'm serving? Romans chapter 12, look at verse 9 here. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another brotherly with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in... Hey, you can't do a single one of these if you've taken your eyes off of the mercy of God. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Contribute. Give money to the work of God, to the work of his church, to those who are in need. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. If we get out of harmony with each other, guaranteed, I'm not pointing a finger at any person here without having fingers back at myself, okay? But if we're out of harmony with someone, it's because somewhere in there, I've allowed my flesh to have ownership. And in that point, at that point, I'm not walking by the Spirit. Because if you're walking by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to say, get back in right reconciliation with them, harmonize with them. That doesn't mean that you get along and do everything together. It means that I've learned not to keep pointing the finger at them, and I've learned to stop blaming them, and I've learned that what God wants is for me to treat others the way he treated me. Do not be haughty. Haughty is connected to the root of pride. Haughty is this head back, shoulders out. I've got it together. You don't, but I do. Now, nobody here would actually do what I'm doing right now on the platform. We have our own ways of doing it. And it's haughty. Be careful. Be careful. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That's interesting. He didn't say, try to cut back on the wisdom in yourself. He says, never be wise in your own sight. Stop seeing yourself as better than other people. Don't ever do that. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Stop trying to play favorites to certain ones and do what you think they'll be impressed with. Don't do anything until you can look at everybody and say, Lord, is this going to benefit everyone? How can I benefit everyone? Now, I don't mean, let's say you were going to give money to this cause because this person who has reputation and credibility is over that ministry, and you're going to give so that they'll think more of you. Uh, no, he's saying, instead, as you give money here, am I giving it with a heart 
led by the Spirit to give, not out of my flesh, because others are watching. I need to make sure that all of my moves, all of my motivations are pure because it will benefit others if I do it the right way. And it will bring harm to others if I do it the wrong way. Repay no one evil for evil. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I like that. The Bible recognizes that it's really hard to live peaceable with some people. That's what he just said. It's really hard. It's not easy. It's not easy to belong to a church. It's not easy to be part of the family of God. It's not. But he says, as much as possible, do it. Do it. In other words, build your life on mercy and become merciful. If you're going to err, don't err on the side of judgment, err on the side of mercy. And then he says in verse 1 again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul is going to flesh out the rest of the chapter and how we are to be merciful to one another. But he begins with how we are to live a life of worship before God. Before we give ourselves away in mercy to man, the first thing we do is give ourselves in worship to God. See, here's what happens. If all you do is focus on mercy with others, you'll become a really good humanist. That's what the world does. They're all about feeding the poor, clothing the naked. They're all about that stuff, and that's good stuff. But that's where it begins, and that's where it ends. Listen, I don't want to be like Mother Teresa. It's documented. Mother Teresa would bring in those on the streets who were dying, and she would bring them in, and she would bathe them. She would put new clothes on them, and she would feed them physical food. She would try to help them in their death to make it as comfortable as possible for them. But she never shared the gospel with them. This is documented by people who stood next to her and ministered next to her. She was even confronted by it. And she just made it. It's, it's about helping people to die. That's what this is about. Why would you take care of them and make them comfortable for death when beyond death is eternal damnation? Makes no sense. But you'll do that if you think that your works are what put you in right standing with God. What God really wants from you and I is to show mercy to others, but not until we first have worshipped him what I, what I, what people need from me the most is not to meet physical needs. The greatest thing I can do is share the gospel with them while I'm meeting their physical need. It's not leaving physical behind. It's that I need to be, I need to be a Christian in such a way that the mercy of God becomes real to them in my actions of physical giving and in the truth of the word of God that saved me. you got to do both. You can't simply care for the dying. You've got to prepare the dying for the life to come. Romans 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern 
what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you do that? How are we transformed? It says right here, by the renewal of our mind, by the study of the Word of God. The more you know your Bible, the more you know God, and the more easier it becomes to recognize what isn't God. This is the biggest issue facing the church today. Too many Christians have little to no discernment. So they can watch these ads on TV. He gets us. And not see what's missing. I'm talking major miss. Because they really haven't studied the word of God enough to know the character and the nature of God. So they don't know what's missing. Christians. We have to be discerning. We have to be discerning. So what are the keys to living a life worth of worship to God and then showing mercy to man? How do we do both? Okay, here it is. Number one, walk in humility before God and man. Verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Walk in humility before God and man. And if you are putting God first, you're constantly reminding yourself I'm nothing, he is everything. John 15, apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Walking humbly before God and man is recognizing the wonderful grace of God and what it has done in your life, in my life. And then out of that, this spring of mercy that God has provided flows and it touches others. The mercy of God touches them through us. And we share the gospel with them. Every single Christian here that's in this room, every believer, every day, all week long, should be casting seed. Throwing seed. What, 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 what seed? What are you talking about? The, the truth of God's word. The gospel. Every day. Casting seed. Not, being, not paying attention to who you're casting to, saying, okay, well, I'll throw it to him, but I'm not going to throw this guy. I know what he'll do. No, no. The, the parable of the sower, Jesus said that the sower did one thing in the parable. He reached in the seed bag, he pulled out the seed, and he broadcast it. He just did this. So a little seed went everywhere. That's what we're called to do every day. Broadcast the seed. And then God does the rest, right? God does the rest. You won't do it if you're not a humble person. Because it takes humility. It takes brokenness. It takes a full recognition that I'm nothing and he's everything. And the only reason I'm saved is because he showed me grace and mercy. And now I want that flow of mercy coming from my life to those around me. I'm going to cast seed and take the hits. Walk in humility before God and man. Secondly, never forget who you are apart from Christ. Verse 3, the latter part of the verse, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, he's saying sober judgment. He's saying don't ever forget where you've come from. Don't ever forget that it was God who saved you. Don't ever forget it's not your goodness that people need. 
It is the mercy of God that they need, just like you needed it. Don't ever forget who you are apart from Christ. If I'm serving up to them, me, and what I've done and where I've been and my experience and my gifting and my everything, all they're getting is you, and that leaves them void of the true gospel. Because the gospel, not a single ounce of it, is about you. The gospel is about God, right? So all that we have to offer people is God. Number three, know where you fit into God's family. Look at verse four. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Stop trying to make people like you. God designed the church to have different people to have different functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. The fact that I allow you to be you the way God created you and me to be me, that's what, make, that's what makes the body beautiful. The church in her beauty is everybody who's been saved by God bringing their abilities, bringing their gifts that the Holy Spirit gave them, bringing what they have to the table that we might all serve one another. And individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Do you know that you can become prideful in your gifting? Because you forget that the gifting that you have came from God. You do know in Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul said, For to each one the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the gifting is given as he chooses. Not a single person on the face of the earth has gifting that was not given by God. Stop taking pride in something that you didn't do, that you didn't create. Just be thankful that the mercy of God saved you and that the gifting God's given you can help others. If prophecy, if that's your gift, in proportion to your faith... If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, what he's not saying there is that only some people can speak forth the word of God, only some people can serve, only some people can teach. Uh, uh, you might not have a gift of teaching, but everybody has learned something. Well, what you've learned, you ought to share it. Amen? He, he's not saying that only some people can exhort, only some people can contribute, only some people can lead, only some people can sh have mercy. Are you kidding? We all have all, all of that. He's just saying that some of you have been given a special dose by the Holy Ghost of mercy, of generosity, of kindness. So he's saying all of us should do all these things, but also those of you, whatever your gift is, man, give glory to God and use it for his glory. The church isn't built around you and your gifting. You're simply one member of the whole body. Your gifting is just one small part of the greater body's good. That goes from the teaching pastor and every elder right down to the newest person to this fellowship. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Yeah, but I'm, i i got to tell you, I, I, I've been here from the beginning, and I've seen a lot, and I'm telling you, I've got the answers for our church, and I know what we ought to be doing, and I've got the gifting to help us get, get there. You're, you know, you're walking up like this. 
like a John Wayne or somebody. Uh, all I can say to you very humbly and in a spirit of brokenness before God, get off the cross. We need the wood. It's not about any person here. And I start with me. It is about the beauty of the church. Every member bringing something that God has equipped them with for the sake of the whole body and everybody in the body never losing sight of the root that bears forth wonderful fruit and that is mercy because God showed me mercy I want to serve him worship him and serve others in a merciful way that's what it comes down to no place in God's church for star personalities. If you want that, go turn on the Golden Globes, the Academy Award, whatever. I don't watch any of it. I did not watch the Super Bowl halftime show because I know that what I'm going to see is man being man trying to get you to worship him. It's not about man. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is about him. When a church can come into alignment with that understanding and belief that mercy is the key, that we remember how God showed us mercy and now we live mercifully, watch that church impact the community because you will go out every day and you will broadcast the seed and you will take the gifting that God's given you and you will use it for his glory and you will worship him first and then you will be interested in helping other people for the right reason amen i want to invite the prayer partners to come and stand across the front we only need about four of you four maybe five and spread out so people can have privacy as they talk with you if you'd like to come and just, uh, receive ministry I was talking to several people before service about some issues that they're facing. The elders are going to come over here to the side. We've got two or three, four people that need special prayer, and we're going to pray for them, okay? And uh, then we'll go from there. Uh, Richard, Batiste, I want you, Richard, at the end to come up too. I, we want to pray for you in behalf of Erlene, who's home uh, and facing some, some illness. Um, so, so we just want to make this a time where we actually are merciful. We, we, we live out mercy. Amen? Father, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the way you've designed the church. It's not about us. It should not be about us. Forgive us when it is. Forgive me, Lord, for when I tried to make the church meet my need the way I want it. Forgive me. We just thank you, Lord, that today you've reminded us of what church is truly about, what it means to be a Christian. The greatest Christian life is recognizing what you have done for us and then functioning out of that, walking by the Spirit as we serve. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
I want to say, please come forward if you'd like prayer. We've got several who can pray with you. And then uh, we'll, uh, we'll also be praying over here, the elders. Uh, thank you so much for being part of this fellowship today. Make sure you greet one another, love one another, have a listening ear to what people are saying. And if they need prayer, take time to pray with them. Let's make this the, about the body of Christ. And I'm pointing to the back. What's going on? Yes. Uh, so those of you who need prayer, come to the front, okay? And we'll, we'll be praying for you. God bless each of you. Thank you for being here.